Welcome to the In The Zone podcast with Mike Ryder and Josh Hughes. This podcast may contain swearing, plus it will be filled with lots of interesting chat. All the views are expressed are our own and are not those of our institutions or employers. You're welcome to share your own views in the comment box on the website. And if you like what you hear, please like, share and subscribe. And you can find out more on our website, innerzonepodcast.com. Or on Spotify, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also like us on Facebook. So, without further ado, here's this week's episode. So, hello and welcome to the In The Zone podcast with me, Mike Ryder. And me, Josh Hughes. In today's episode, we're going to talk about virtual reality. And we're going to start off by talking a little bit about the science fiction novel Snow Crash, which you've been reading recently, Josh. Is that right? Yeah, so I've just recently finished um, this book, Snow Crash. Um, and it kind of... There's, there's a there's a story about um, corrupt corporate interests trying to take over the world, basically, um, and that happens in reality. But there's also kind of in this in this in the the universe in which the book happens, there is um, or the world in which it happens, which is, which is Earth, but kind of a future dystopian version of Earth. There is also this um, virtual reality um, place called the metaverse um that um lots of people kind of sign into and kind of you know go about the go about business having fun in the metaverse mm. in virtual reality and um you know the, the main character is is a is a hacker um who um kind of got in at the start and kind of helped build this pub called the black sun and kind of ended up writing lots of the code for this metaverse place so kind of has um a bit more control than other people would uh, which is, which sort of leads to some you know helps the story along um but yeah it kind of got me thinking about virtual reality really and and i suppose it's it's a the the metaverse in snow crash is kind of i suppose or it's described in in such a way that it's it can be virtual reality that could be almost indistinguishable from from actual reality like the the quality of graphics the quality of graphics interfaces and things like that and you know you, the, the main character has um an office and a house in the metaverse um motor, motorcycles or kind of almost i suppose in a way like second life yeah that, that's what um, i was going to mention that was yeah that was a popular kind of it's not quite a virtual reality thing but it's, it's a game really isn't it in that people can be um who they, who they kind of dream of being um because there's they're unlimited by you know finances and physics and whatever else um yeah kind of the books sort have of got to be thinking about virtual reality and what what might happen if if kind of i suppose, I suppose we are seeing lots of virtual reality things appear and technologies or I suppose actually we're kind of seeing lots of augmented reality technologies really, aren't we? And I suppose just for the listeners who aren't aware, kind of the difference would be that a virtual reality would be, say you put on a headset and um, what you see is um, a totally computer generated world uh, and you interact with it in um, within the computer basically. Yeah. Whereas an augment, augmented reality is where maybe you put on, say, um, a set of goggles, like I think it's HoloLens by Microsoft. Um, and that rather than being in a completely computer-generated world, 
So you would be able to see through these goggles computer generated objects within your world. So for instance, if you look at your desk, you might be able to have um, a virtual pet set on it, a virtual cat or something um, sat on your desk, kind of peering at you and whatever else. And then when you take the goggles off, it dis the virtual cat disappears because you can't see it without the goggles. Um, so it's kind of augmented reality kind of adds virtual objects and things into um, into the real world, whereas virtual yeah. reality is entirely um, computer generated. Yeah, I mean, there are quite a few examples of augmented reality feeding into everyday life. I mean, I, funnily enough, I literally just published a paper that talks a little bit about augmented reality um, as it goes. So, I mean, listeners might well be familiar with like Pokemon Go, for example, and yep. the game Ingress, where your smartphone camera sort of shows you a depiction of the real world, but then overlays Pokemon or sort of these portals on on the real world. But obviously then that's feeding into uh, sort of shopping sort of consumer culture as well now, where you've got the likes of, um, I was going to say, Ikea and other sort of retailers. They've got apps now where you can almost imagine your item that you want to buy in your own home by using the app to augment a picture of your home with the actual product so you can sort of get a sense of what it might look like in real life which yeah. is quite interesting i think there's a few firms to do it with um glasses like spectacles mm. um and yeah i mean i think in a way that's that's quite a useful thing to do because it helps you kind of, you know if you're going to buy something from ikea that's flat pack or you know you're going to order glasses online then you, you, know, you don't really get that sense of what it's really like to have it either in the space um, of your house or, or on your face in those two examples. Um, so in that way, it's really useful. Um, but I suppose kind of you could see you know, quite easily kind of if you're using these augmented reality tools or, or you know, goggles or even it's just on your phone, you, know, you can imagine kind of quite soon it's probably going to be like um, animated adverts and things like that popping up all over the place um you know i mean if you're going to put a sofa down and they might as well give you an advert for a much more expensive sofa or the glasses or whatever mm. um which i suppose in a way would, would kind of ruin it really um you know you i suppose, I suppose ultimately well those augmented augmented reality examples are about buying stuff aren't they so it wouldn't necessarily ruin it because so it's still in the realm of buying stuff, isn't it? But if you went into virtual reality and you kind of, I suppose fundamentally about the, uh, the reason people would want to go into virtual reality is, is about escapism. And so to be brought back into um, reality through kind of advertising would, would be a bit disappointing, really. Um, maybe. Um, but I'm, I'm just thinking, I mean, one example, I don't know if you've seen it or not, is Reddit or Reddit is Ready Player One, I was thinking about. I've heard about the film and the book, but uh, I've not read it or watched it. I mean, because essentially it's it's like a more updated version of this sort of cyberpunk, post-cyberpunk idea of virtual reality, where essentially this kid who sort of has a sort of uh, pretty tricky life and he goes into this world, this sort of virtual world that's run by a big corporation, and he's he's got it's almost like you say the second life within the game which sort of harks back to lots of 90, 1980s culture references in it um but the idea is that he forms sort of relationships and friendships with people inside this virtual world 
but then there's this overlap between the virtual and the real wherein the corporation that's sort of running or trying to run the virtual world actually exists in real life and it tries to undermine this uh, character's um, activities by actually trying to catch him in real life and there's this bit in the film where this corporation basically tries to blow him up um, in real life but he isn't actually accessing the virtual reality from where they think he is so he he's able to escape but there's this sort of it's in, this interesting crossover between the real and the artificial and you almost have you always have different currencies as well in the two worlds which is also quite interesting um which shows this sort of um how the two can sort of overlap because actually earning money in the game does actually give you things in real life and vice versa which is um which is worth thinking about and obviously hint, hint sort of harks back to lots of sort of classic sci-fi if you think of likes of sort of philip k dick his weird, weird distorted realities i mean some of his are obviously drug induced not necessarily virtual realities but i'm thinking of i think i might have mentioned to you before something like um, a maze of death where the characters are all stuck on a spaceship and they're just playing out loads and loads of virtual reality sort of worlds basically just to try and pass the time until they die because their spaceship's trapped in the middle of nowhere and they can't get out um which uh, <laughs> Which is quite a, a dark take on virtual yeah. reality. But yeah, but I suppose it, ultimately that's just escapism, isn't it? Um, I mean, I remember watching a documentary about Second Life a, a while ago, a few, quite a few years ago. Second Life has been going for a quite a long time, really, hasn't it? It's mm. um, maybe fifteen, maybe twenty years, maybe um, maybe even longer. Um, two thousand and three. Two thousand three. Well, mm. yeah. So in that time frame, um, yeah, I remember watching something about Second Life, and you know, a lot of people who started to—I was going to say to play it, but it's not really—it's not quite a game, is it? It's, it's setting up a yeah, a, a, literally a second life in 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 the computer um, or in cyberspace. Um, you know, a lot of people who were doing it ended up. Um, having it kind of take over their lives or something. So I think in a lot of ways, you can kind of see um, people doing or you know, engaging in virtual reality lives more, um, yeah, well, as escapism, but because the escapism can be so realistic and so kind of successful, if you will, um, you know, because you're in an, literally in an alternative reality, um, you're, you've com- you can completely escape your the real, you know, actual reality. Um, I remember, I remember watching this documentary. And a lot of people were spending you know, inordinate amount of time in the, in Second Life and forming quite significant relationships with other people in the Second Life. Um, you know, people were having virtual marriages um, with with people who they met in Second Life, despite being married to real people in real life. Um, and it just, I suppose in a lot of ways, a lot of it's, it, as I remember it, I mean, it's quite a long time ago, but it's sort of made it seem that a lot of these people are quite sort of sad individuals who maybe don't, um, have much happening in, in, in actual reality. But, you know, I think with, um, you know, the rise of social media and everybody's on social media or it seems everybody is, um, you know, if kind of, if, if that sort of trend trend of everybody being connected moved into virtual reality. I mean, I wonder if 
kind of we would end up in sort of a matrix type thing of everybody sort of in this virtual reality type thing um together which would which would link it back to to snow crash and this sort of metaverse idea because there's in in the book there's kind of this one virtual reality the metaverse where everybody is on it um and i think yeah you could definitely see people wanting to spend a lot of time in virtual reality if it's if it you know often actual reality is a bit disappointing because we don't achieve our dreams or if we do achieve them they take a lot of hard work and no one really wants to do the hard work whereas if you're in a virtual reality you can just have it right um you know it, it takes nothing to it, it takes five minutes to change an avatar to to, to look like what you want it to, what you want to look like or what you want your avatar to look like whereas if you want to change yourself to look how you want to look well maybe that's you know many months of hard work in the gym or on a diet or whatever mm. um so it kind of it's i suppose you can see virtual as almost giving giving people what they want straight away um you know and that's obviously that's really attractive because everybody wants to have to be who they want to be and, and look like they want to look and all this kind of stuff um you know like since over lockdown I've, I've been playing quite a lot of um red dead redemption 2 on my xbox and that's right. kind of quite escapist because you're you can go and do lots of lots of things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do obviously being be a cowboy and a bandit and whatever but um there's also kind of no um there's no recompense for what you do really i mean there's just kind of supposed to be like an honor system in the game but um if you have if you decide to you know become a bad person in the game it doesn't really materially affect you because it's obviously still just a game um i suppose that's perhaps that's one of the other draws of virtual realities is that no matter what goes wrong it's just you know the the the, there's no real responsibility for whatever you do um Uh, potentially i mean i was just going to suggest that the the opposite actually because i was just thinking about second life and also about the ready player one example because that's sort of the one i'm more familiar with than snow crash where often what happens is you go into these worlds and in order to achieve the sort of inverted commas success that you're talking about characters end up having to almost adopt literally a second life so where where normally in real life they'd go out to work they'd earn money they'd come home they're then spending the money that they earn at work doing work within a virtual environment so they have to do things that to order in order to earn the currency to then be able to spend it in the second life, which is itself becomes a sort of re- a form of work within a form of work in a way, because you're actually just carrying out more work, but in a virtual setting. Because I think what to me at least appears to happen in a lot of these games, a lot of these settings is that a sort of social order does start to form within them because it's all well and good, okay, giving people what they want. But if you give it to them instantly, that's not really a way for these companies to earn money. And it's also not necessarily a way to give people really any sort of long-term, what's the word, long-term sort of gratification, because a part of that gratification is actually the process of earning it in the first place. So I think the idea about building your avatar to be whoever you want it to be is actually really good, because I because one of the things that comes out in Ready Player One is this idea that, well, you can be sort of 
literally whoever you want so actually it's quite a liberating thing especially if you're sort of say trans or um you've got a sort of fluid gender perhaps or that your your sort of sexuality it doesn't really matter because it doesn't matter who you are because you're literally a virtual representation so to people there's almost an expectation that you might not be who you appear to be but at the same time there's also a, a question mark i think over what these games are doing to people in the sense that there is a, an element of exploitation in the facts that people are essentially just working to work again and then working so they're spending their free time working or which in the game it sort of reinstates sort of the capitalist imperative in the real world because you're even spending your, your free time doing a form of work to make you more um say open to the fact of actually working in the real world so it just becomes another sort of form of the sort of capitalist system but in a virtual setting I don't, I don't know what Snow Crash has to say about that because obviously I'm, I've not read it, but um, sounds quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, so in Snow Crash, you know, the, the metaverse is—it's um, basically a place where people go to have fun, um, and all the kind of the jobs, if you will, are done by um, what they're called demons or de- demons, demons. So you know, spelt with that AE. Um, mm. So if if a character dies in the in the metaverse or an avatar dies, sorry, um, you know a daemon come and comes and takes their sort of corpse away and deals with it, um, and you know in this bar in this bar the black sun I think there's a there's a sort of bartender daemon, um, so yeah so there isn't kind of that work idea, um, which is interesting because sort of. Um, the sort of the dystopian future setting of the book itself in in actual reality is is um is sort of a the sort of a, a change in sovereignty basically and like it's it's set in what was los angeles um but it becomes it's basically the idea of the of the united states disappears um and sort of different areas become different f- sovereign franchises for private corporations so like you can live in a an area owned by the mafia um mm. or by um by a church or something different like that or something um so there isn't kind of this idea of of work within the metaverse but there is this idea of um almost, almost in a way the gig economy actually because at the start of the book the main character is a pizza delivery driver um, and also a freelance, um, I call it a freelance hacker, but really sort of a computer programmer, um, and a freelance um, intelligence gatherer for like a future corporatized version of the CIA. And kind of the supporting character is a, um, a skateboard courier. So you have this weird, yeah, I suppose in a way you have this sort of weird gig economy kind of predicted 15 years before it happened in the real world but then in the metaverse you don't have any jobs that are done by real people um whereas yeah sort of now in, in our in our world um yeah you kind of see these virtual realities as as you say kind of when they're gamified in a sense of you need to achieve something to have whether it's better looks or better equipment or whatever in the virtual reality yeah you, you kind of have to um work for it don't you um which suppose links links quite nicely into your side projects on work as we discussed um last time um 
Oh, with, with Emily, yeah. That's yes, with right. Emily, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? I suppose. So I wonder what what would a virtual reality look like in in different um, in in, a, in an area that's under a different economic system? I wonder what would it, what would an anarcho communist virtual reality look like? I wonder. Um, um, I mean, that's a, that's a very good question. I mean, the, the anarcho-communist <laughs> thing. I mean, it makes me think of um, Ursula Le Guin's The Dispossessed, where there are these two planets uh, exist side by side, um, Anaris and Uras, and one is basically a capitalist society, and one's basically this sort of anarcho, sort, sort of, it's sort of communist. It's, it's a bit, it's, it's supposed to, it was set up as a utopia, but according to my reading of it, at least, it's not really as much of a utopia as it likes to think it is. And in the end, what happens is, there's a, there is a sort of subtle power structure that underlies everything and that basically leads certain people to be excluded in order to maintain the status quo. So actually, it, it's not a utopia at all. It's a kind of, um, it's actually quite, um, I want to say totalitarian, but it's quite um, restrictive upon the people that live within it, um, which is quite interesting, I think, because I was just thinking about your virtual reality and snow crash. And I was wondering, because you've got all these different companies existing side by side or these different organisations, I mean, that automatically makes me think that there must be some sort of competition between them. So what, they're obviously going to be competing for your attention or what, what the people it wants. You want people to live in your part of the world, don't you? Yeah, I mean, so it's kind of the geography of the metaverse in the book is quite um, important because you have this main area where everybody likes to hang out. Um, so essentially, the metaverse is a virtual planet and it has the street um which goes around the equator of the planet um and everyone likes to hang out in a particular area where it's the most built up it's most um populated there's more there's more virtual nightclubs and things to do and exactly on the other side of the planet is is um this enormous structure which holds um not only kind of important things to run the metaverse by the corporation that runs it but um it's also kind of used for um dodgy stuff by the corporation which is in real life is the corporation seeking kind of um global domination mm. so yeah you kind of have this these this geography this geographical element um but it's not because the actual virtual reality is owned by this one corporation so it doesn't have necessarily these, these different areas within the virtual reality but there are um things like popping up adverts across the the metaverse the kind of and it sort of, sort of seems like you know there's, there's a quite a bit of the sort of story later on is about the main character riding a, a virtual motorcycle through through the virtual reality and, and being stopped by sort of pop-up adverts mm. um and i suppose that you know if that was if that was real life you know that would be really quite disconcerting an advert just popping up out of nowhere um and having, you know, people, uh, or, yeah, but even in the virtual reality, that would be quite strange, I think, if you just, uh, you know, stopped everything that you're doing, because um, there's, there's this advert in front of you. So I think that would be quite disconcerting. I suppose, what I'm kind of getting at, I suppose, is that, um, as it links back with, with sort of us even talking about capitalist imperatives and stuff, is that if, if, if these virtual realities that we kind of predict might come about in the future are sort of set up by, these big corporations, um, then we kind of have to, you know, play by their rules in effect, and 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 live in that virtual reality by their rules. Um, 
And I suppose if, if, if virtual reality is going to become or could potentially become so all-encompassing in the sense of, you know, these those people who kind of get sucked into second life, um, you know, do we really want to be, have our escapism controlled entirely by a corporation? Um, well, you know, I was, I was going to say that's interesting you say that, but has, is it not already the case that our, our escapism is controlled by big corporations? I mean, Obviously, it's not directly a virtual reality, but the whole world realm of social media is a form of sort of distorted reality, I suppose you could say, at this point in time, where though we didn't necessarily know it when we signed up, I mean, I signed up in the early 2000s when Facebook was in its infancy still, but you, you talk about pop-up adverts and the control that these these companies have. Is, is it's, it's kind of had that through the back door, hasn't it? And we've sort of accepted it slowly over time. And you could say the same with Google and Apple, actually, the way that they're sort of, systems what the way their sort of surveillance capitalism works in a sense of we just sort of give up our rights without quite knowing what we've given up and then to the point where actually you then get to this point where it's a fear of missing out if you leave so you're sort of trapped without being trapped but you are trapped and yeah i just wonder when you say about this virtual reality and the sort of choices we make is it even a choice because the, the fact is i suppose if young people all start going into these virtual worlds and that's where they hang out then all their friends hang out there and suddenly before you know it everyone's in there and because we're social beings we're, we're sort of we're sucked in aren't we yeah um yeah <laughs> that's, that's kind of that's i suppose in a way that's, that's the the dystopian vision is it isn't it is that it kind of it becomes virtual reality kind of becomes the sort of anarcho-capitalist vision or is, or is built in that sort of way, um, rather than as a thing sort of for the people, if you will. Um, but then again, I suppose if, if it's going to be for the people who decides all of that thing, who, who decides all of that, and um, and how, because I, mean, I suppose you could go for kind of democratic control models, but um, you know they're quite difficult to, to implement, especially if you're going to try and code something by democracy that's that's it that's quite difficult um but yeah i don't know i mean i think you kind of could imagine you know facebook and instagram and twitter and whoever else kind of maybe the next stage of that maybe the next stage will be kind of augmented reality versions of them but then you know beyond that you know virtual reality versions of social media where yeah you log in and you speak to avatars of, of virtual friends yeah, I mean, you could you could certainly imagine that, couldn't you? Mm. Um, and if people are, well, big corporations are going to make money out of, yeah, kind of your second life. So that that I don't know. It feels a bit. It feels a bit more. Oh, I don't know, I'm trying to say. I suppose in a way, when you when you look at social media, you can see that you are consuming content, and so you can um, quite easily understand that that. So, you know, in order for that content to be created, something needs to money needs to be exchanged. Whether it's just the server kind of costs or um, the payment of actual influencers and content creators, you can kind of see that. But I suppose when it comes to virtual reality, because there's kind of this this risk or this chance of things being um, sort of understood on sort of a deeper level or, or maybe interacted with on a deeper level you know if people become you know really embedded in 
in a virtual reality, it almost seems like you're not just exploiting. Uh, uh, you know, if, if, so I'll start that again. If um, people become really deeply embedded in kind of a virtual reality, and that virtual reality is used to make money by, for a big corporation, you kind of it kind of becomes a little bit more difficult to rationalise, I suppose, because it's not just about it's not just about seeing content and the server costs. It's about that kind of emotional connection that people are going to make between each other. Mm. Um, and I suppose that's what's, that's perhaps that's what what's makes me, makes me feel uneasy about it is that right. it's not, it's, it's yeah. People are going <laughs> so to make money off that emotional connection between people. Now I, I would suggest, I think, I think maybe just cause I, I read far more dystopias than you do. I would, <laughs> I would, I would maybe just think that perhaps that's, we're already in that world. Um, it's just, it's not necessarily what you define as a, a clear, virtual reality from the sense of well facebook is basically powered by the content generated by all of us and generated by that emotional connection so you post a picture you're my friend i like your picture so and therefore that in itself generates some sort of interactivity it, it pushes content up news feeds it makes you feel good because your friends are liking your pictures it makes you want to post more pictures um it then leads to conversations which is leading to more interactions which again is all just keeping us within the system, which means Facebook can then sell us more, ad, um, sell more ads to target us. And we're the ones creating the content. Um, I would perhaps also maybe dispute the claim in a sense that everyone's aware of what's going on with the content. I mean, when it comes to like fake news, for example, and these sorts of things, I, th I think maybe people are maybe aware on one level at least, but there's a point as well to which maybe we, sort of I suppose you could say overlook the the, the the sort of founding principles of these platforms because the the whole point of them is to make us forget it because I th and that's the thing I think with virtual reality as well in that you're in this system you're in this world I mean you're talking about being in when you're in Red Dead Redemption and gaming or for me it's The Witcher perhaps where the idea is you're supposed to forget because that's a part of the immersive the, the immersion and this is what social social media companies presently actually feed on because they want us to be immersed they want us to forget the real world or they want us to imagine our our worlds differently because that's part of the money making process for them that's because we are the product we are we are the content creators we are the content in fact because the content is pictures that you're posting of yourself and your life so that is the content is you you created the content and you are the content itself um yeah i i, I don't know but it, i i agree that it is disturbing I'm, I'm i just wonder if maybe we're actually further along in this process than maybe we like to think yeah i mean you said something before i think it was social media is a as a, as a something uh, you, you described social media as something reality before a distorted, like a distorted reality, reality. A distorted reality that was it i thought that was really good actually because i think um you're right in the sense that a lot of the issues about virtual reality are present in with social media and kind of the the bubbles that they create or the um as you say the the immersion um so i suppose i suppose kind of there's an issue or there's a question about how much greater can those issues how much of a greater impact do those issues have when it goes from just an immersive social reality social media existence or experience into a virtual reality um because if the issues aren't you know, much greater than we need to deal with these issues now, really, don't we? Um, mm. 
but also, you know, what does that tell us about our experiences um, with social media today? Um, and yeah, I suppose as you were as you were talking then, and I, and I suppose you know I mentioned before about the emotional connection, how that's kind of just, exploitation of that is quite disturbing. Um, but kind of as you were talking, I was I was remembering, you know, I think those, everybody has sort of friends on on Facebook or Instagram who they probably haven't seen for a long time, and they kind of their relationship really only exists through Facebook or Instagram or whatever because you know you like each other's photos or whatever, but you know, you live a long way away, you don't really talk, to, you don't, you probably haven't bumped into each other in a long time, um, and, you know, and without social media you probably would forget that they existed probably there's i think probably everybody has those sorts of friends um so in that sense actually you know social media is already exploiting that emotional connection because i wouldn't see myself as friends with them without having social media mm. yeah well that that's true i mean that is a positive of the whole social media thing but then at the same time again it's relying on those connections and it's using that emotional connection of yours and theirs to create yeah. further content and therefore further enmesh you in the system. I mean, every so often I, I, I go about this process of deleting people from my social media accounts who I don't have any interaction with. But there are certain people who they must clearly be following me quite closely because they'll just re-add me. Um, and these are people that I don't have any interaction with in real life and I haven't had interaction with in 20 odd years. So, like, for example, there's someone that I went to junior school with. I mean, she's got a life and kids and all this stuff and looks perfectly like a normal person. But I only knew her up to the age of 10. Like, I'm 34 now. So it's, this is a long time ago, this. But she still feels the need to try and re-add me, even though even when we were Facebook friends, we've had no interaction whatsoever. Yeah. So I've not actually spoken or even typed a message to her in 24 years um but still they're trying to build this connection and then what happens is this then leads to other connections and it's 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 a it's a strange web isn't it that and then obviously what facebook's doing with this is it's using the data of our connections and our relationships to actually sell us advertising and target messages at us which again is itself is quite sort of morally questionable i suppose you could say but then we sign up to it don't we because this whole thing is I mean, financially, at least it's free because it. W I mean, Facebook wouldn't be as successful as it was if it asked us for a sort of £10 a month subscri subscription, would it? Because we all yeah. much prefer it because it's on the outset, at least it appears to be free, even though obviously it's not free. We think it's free or it likes to t t tell us it's free because that's what the model's based on. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'd say now. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 tricky, isn't it? And I mean, there, there's so many implications when it comes to virtual reality, because it, it goes far beyond just having a product that we all sort of log into or sign into when, as and when it becomes a proper sort of second, like a proper um, Ready Player One type environment. But I think we can think about realities as being mediated in many different forms. So not just the type that you directly interface with, or directly plug into. I think even our world itself you could say is a form of mediated reality from the sort of basic sense of well okay you, you might wear glasses so that so your your perception of reality is mediated through the, the sort of device of your glasses or from your perceptions which again are mediated in a sense through your interactions on social media with people or the way that sort of you're educated and so forth and maybe the drugs you're taking that you're, you're prescribed from the doctor and so on 
yeah it's just it's 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 a, it's a tricky one i think but it's really interesting the perspectives on virtual realities offered by snow crash and books from that sort of cyberpunk sort of post cyberpunk periods um i mean starting obviously with like the likes of sort of neuromancer and so forth and the sort of the lessons that we can take from them i mean what i mean what's what's the conclusion that that was reached in in the book out of interest because i mean it's it's one I'm, i think i'm going to have to look out for it to read it now but was was there a sort of solution was there a was there a where next offered by the book not really um kind of the evil corporation kind of got bested and and that was that um and it kind of just implies that everything will, will continue as it, as it was before but without um this corporation dominating everything but it kind of didn't i suppose it didn't really dig into the detail of of what happens with the metaverse um yeah i think it, oh, oh well i suppose the thing is is that as i've sort of mentioned before kind of the main character is is portrayed as, as this hacker who kind of got in at the start of the metaverse and so had lots of wrote lots of code for it and kind of had had influence and therefore greater power in it um and then sort of as this great big corporation kind of goes away perhaps it kind of hints that um these hacker this sort of hacker original hacker elite kind of og hackers um will kind of um re- re- regain sort of their greater influence through their kind of skill and ability um so maybe it kind of yeah links back to sort of ideas of democratic control in a way i suppose which, which in a sense, we could say might be a bit naive on their part, really, because obviously these technologies have to be controlled. I mean, I mean, I'm just trying to think of a, a modern day example of this sort of democratic sort of control. I mean, you might think of something like Wikipedia, perhaps, but even that, in a sense, has its problems, doesn't it? And, and the world of Wikipedia is a sense, one that you can't necessarily trust everything you read on it because of the community control. And obviously, it's still got to be funded. And so you get these messages telling you to pay them money every so often. But I suppose that's that's the sacrifice you have to make if you want a world like that. And I think it's going to be interesting to see where things go with this technology, because obviously it's it's very expensive to run this sort of thing. So there's always going to be a sort of capitalistic drive to monetize it, because otherwise it's just not feasible, is it? Well, yeah, unless unless we just abolish money. But um, <laughs> Well, yeah, we could just abolish money. <laughs> But that, that's probably one for another podcast, I think. But I think, I think so. it's a really interesting discussion. It and, is. Um, I'm going to have to look out for this book now and see what I think of it. Because I say it falls just outside of my own period of sci-fi. But it, yeah, that no, sounds really interesting. So um, thanks for introducing me to that. Um, oh, no problem. I would definitely yeah. recommend it. Okay, cool. Well, that's so for anyone who missed that at the start, that's Neil Stevenson's uh, Snow Crash, 1992. And uh, we'll add that to the uh, In The Zone book club, I think. I think so, yeah, why not? Cool, right, well, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the In The Zone podcast with Mike Ryder and Josh Hughes. For more podcasts and interesting chat, visit inthezonepodcast.com.